Once again, I'm Brett Vriesman. I'm the director of Youth and Young Adults here at TFRC. Uh, we're in the middle of a series we've titled Equipped. And throughout Jesus' ministry on earth, he put his disciples uh, through a number of different experiences to instill values, instincts, and methods to be used to uh, expand the gospel, spread it throughout the world after his death and resurrection. The heart behind this series <clears throat> is to explore stories of the gospel where Jesus equips his disciples for ministry after his death. And in doing this, it's our hope that we can better understand what God has equipped us with and is equipping us to do in our partnership and ministry with him as we follow Jesus. I was recently sent to the store to get a few items for my wife. I needed to get a two-pound bag of powdered sugar, generic light corn syrup, one lemon, and 18 eggs. Really quick, any guesses on what she's doing here? Go ahead and yell them out really quick. You're all wrong. I'm just kidding. No, I don't know. But <laughs> anyways, uh, traditionally, I'm really terrible at remembering to grab all the items. There's always that one thing that I forget. And so my wife has gotten the habit of texting me this list. And uh, so I went to the local Ridley's in Kimberly, and I bought a lemon. I got... 18 eggs, I got a two pound bag of sugar, and uh, last but not least, I was on my way to look for the light, gen generic light corn syrup. Some of you are ahead of the game, you're seeing where this is going. Now I was struggling to find this item, I could not for the life of me see a label that said generic and light on it. And so I, I found myself at a, at a precipice. Uh, one that many of us face. Uh, do I go and ask the counter for help? Of course not. No, why would I go and do that? That would be the ultimate act of humility. Uh, do I call my wife and admit my incompetence? No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that either. Uh, do I even uh, recheck the text message to make sure that it, I'm looking at the right thing? No. Um, that's more from stupidity. But... Uh, I guess it's all from stupidity. Um, so I just assumed she meant the regular corn oil. So I grab it, and I head home. When I got home, I started proudly pulling out all my items I remembered to bring. So I, I pull out the eggs, I pull out the lemon, I pull out the powdered sugar, and then it's time for the final item. And sweetie, they didn't have generic light uh, corn oil, so I just got the, the regular stuff. And my wife, in a sweet nature like she always has, says, hey, sweetie, I asked for corn syrup. And we'll just call that the, what she said. But <laughs> so, I, so, I, so I end up getting the wrong thing. And it adds to my legacy of incompetence when it comes to going and getting groceries. Um, I share this story because my wife sent me she sent me with instructions to go and do something. But whether from a place of stupidity or pride or laziness or any other thing on the spectrum, I relied more on myself, which was a big mistake, than the one who sent me. 
I could have looked at that text again. I could have given her that phone call. But I relied on myself. And because of it, I missed the mark. I missed the mark of my mission that I was sent to accomplish. In a similar way, Jesus would eventually instruct his disciples to go and do something. So to keep his disciples from missing the mark, he had to equip them to rely on God, to rely on someone outside of themselves, someone who never misses the mark. Our passage today comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. Our scripture reader today is Melissa Perez. Our scripture, uh, our, here at TVRC, we believe that scripture should be primary to the way we live our lives. And so I'm going to ask that all of you just stand up and, and join me for the reading of God's word. Uh, we stand to symbolize the importance it plays in our lives. So Melissa, whenever you're ready, go ahead and start reading. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were these, his instructions. Take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Thank you, Melissa. You guys can all be seated. Our passage for today takes place directly after Jesus had paid a little visit to his hometown. Uh, he taught in the synagogue and he healed some people. But his people, the local Jewish community, were not receptive. They didn't have faith in, in what he had to say. So his impact was limited. He decides he wants to go out and start preaching from town to town to make an impact elsewhere. And it's while doing that, he decides it was about time for his disciples to get some hands-on experience. So he called them to him, and he sent them out two by two to go into the, the different Jewish communities around them. But in the midst of sending out his disciples to proclaim that the kingdom was near, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick, there's another lesson he was trying to teach his disciples. Something under the surface. Jesus wanted to refine his disciples' reliance that they knew they would have to have in God so that they could live their lives and do the ministry they were called to do. When he sent them, he gave them specific instructions. He told them what and what not to bring. The first instructions come from the first half of verse 8. It says, these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. <clears throat> Jesus starts by telling them to bring a staff. Now, side note, in other uh, gospel representations, it talks about him not being allowed to bring a staff. They're referring to an additional staff to the one that he has. But in the story of Moses... A staff represents power and authority given by God. 
In the realm of shepherding, it's a tool used for safety, protection, and taking care of his flock. And for the wanderer in the desert, a staff is a way to provide support and strength as they go on their journey. When we look at the commonality between all these meanings of what a staff is, we see a theme of protection. Jesus is teaching his disciples to rely on God through trusting in God's protection. By only bringing a staff, the disciples are bringing the minimum they need for safety. This creates space for them to rely fully on God for the rest. It shows that he'll give them all they need to protect them when times get rough. It shows that he'll give them strength and support when they're walking through the desert. With this one command, Jesus is subtly telling them that you need to trust in God's protection. As we go out and do what God has called us to do and to be, we must also learn to rely on his protection. Jesus makes it clear that it's not always going to be easy being a disciple of Jesus. In fact, in the Matthew account of the sending of the 12, Jesus warns them it's going to be dangerous. If you turn with me to Matthew 10, verses 16 through 20, it says this. I'm sending you out like a sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The journey ahead of them was going to be one with many dangers, many obstacles, many challenges. Jesus knew they would need to find their strength, their protection in God. The same is true for us as we go through life. We just so happen to be hopefully on the tail end of a pandemic. It's taking countless lives, tons of people getting sick. We also may be on the brink of another world war. There's violence, there's abuse. And then on top of that, there's all of our emotional, mental struggles. Many times when we seek protection, we try to rely on ourselves or we look outside of God. To find a sense of power or authority, maybe we create this image of having a higher status, whether that's social or economic. Maybe we we break other people down so that we can feel bigger and better than they are. Or maybe we start associating with people that make us feel like we have power and authority. For protection, maybe we stick to the people we feel most comfortable with. Maybe we flock to the newest neighborhoods with the best houses or have multiple gun racks filled up in a garage for our support instead of finding it in God and our strength. We might rely on a bottle of scotch to get us through the day. 
Maybe lean into unhealthy relationships. Or find ourselves binging on a number of different addictions. As we try to live our lives as disciples of Jesus, we are called to more than that, though. We are called to find our strength, find our protection in Jesus Christ. We're called to find it in God. He'll protect us through all we do. He's asking us to lean on him through the times where we need it. When we're in trouble, we need to go to him in prayer. And when we find ourselves in a situation, we need to be faithful with what he's provided us and do all that we can to protect ourselves. The staff was a symbol. It was a symbol that the disciples would need to rely on God for protection. When it comes to our lives, do we carry around extra metaphorical staffs? What is it that we tend to give ourselves to feel power and authority, to feel protected? After being told to bring a staff, Jesus goes on to instruct them to pack minimally. The second half of verses 8 and 9 says that they are to bring no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Now, I struggle with this passage because I, I tend to be an overpacker. Do we have any overpackers in the crowd here? I, uh, you know, my shoe size alone really limits what I can pack, so I need to bring like an extra bag just to fit my feet in there. But uh, they were asked to hardly bring anything. They couldn't even bring any clothes to change into. There's an amazing uh, emphasis being placed here on minimizing their need to provide for themselves. There's a specific purpose behind the instructions of what and what not to bring. Jesus wanted them to rely less on themselves for nourishment, less on themselves for extra supplies, less on themselves to cover expenses, and less of, on themselves to just cover their bodies. To refine the disciples' reliance on God, Jesus was training them to trust in his provision. By minimizing what they could bring, Jesus was equipping them to practice this. When we look at our lives, there's a longing to provide for ourselves. There's almost a pride we take in it, isn't there? That's why we graduate from high school, to enter the workforce, or to get a degree that gives us that job, that gives us all the money we could ever use to provide for ourselves. And we take pride in it, don't we? Like, that's, that's the American dream. We provide for ourselves. But there's a danger in the pursuit of self-provision. When we focus ourselves on provision, we begin to manipulate, or we can begin to manipulate, our wants and desires into our needs. And that's a slippery slope. Our main pursuit should be following Jesus and partnering in ministry with him. And if our need for provision becomes our main pursuit, we lose sight of that. 
Now, I'm not saying we can't have nice things. I like nice things. I enjoy a good juice box. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but I do think there's value in asking ourselves why we want what we want. Or even how is it impacting our work for God? The things that we've provided for ourselves, the things God has provided for us, is what, what's the reason why we need it? Are there any ways our pursuit of provision has distracted us from the mission that God has us on? How are we doing? Are we letting our things, the, the things God's given us, distract us? What are the reasons behind our loaded pantry? Our new iPhones, our smart TVs, our streaming services. What are the motivations behind the money in our investments, the money in our savings accounts, our closets full of clothes we've never worn? When we start relying on God, specifically to provide, He becomes more grateful. We become more grateful for what He's given and can begin to better use what he's given us for his glory. Maybe all those extra clothes can go someplace needed. Maybe some of those investments can be placed in a different place. Maybe we don't need four TVs. We just have two. You get what I'm saying, don't you? What if we were to use what we have been provided for the glory of God? In what ways do you find yourself not relying on God to provide? How could we start using his provision to impact our mission? Jesus continues giving instruction to his disciples in verses 10 and 11. It says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Leave that place and shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus here lays out how the disciples are to handle where they stay, how long to stay, and what to do when people aren't receptive. Because there's going to be people who aren't receptive. When the disciples would enter a new town, Jesus wanted them to be content and thankful and faithful for where he had placed them. He didn't want them to try to find a nicer place or that next best thing. Jesus wanted his disciples to trust in his plan and his timing. Verse 11 reiterates this truth. Uh, when Jesus tells his disciples to shake the dust off of their feet, he's making a reference to a Jewish custom of their day. What would happen is when a Jewish person would, would leave a Gentile town. It was, a, it was an act almost symbolic, maybe literal, but uh, they would dust off the dirt on their shoes, on their sandals, uh, so that they wouldn't contaminate Judea, the Holy Land. Now, what God's saying here is not like, well, forget about them. That's not what he's saying. If you remember me saying earlier, Jesus was sending the disciples out to the Jewish communities and when he chose to send them to those communities and they were not receptive of the message, Jesus says that they are like the Gentiles, unreceptive. So 
What he's telling the disciples to do is be faithful and trust the process. Move on to the next town and work on that set of Jewish people. They're being asked to trust in God. Jesus uh, refined the disciples' reliance on God by having them trust in his providence. The traditional view of God's providence says that everything, including our thoughts and our choices and our actions, uh, that they all occur under God's sovereign will. Everything's got a purpose. Everything's got a plan. Nothing comes by chance. But aren't we beings that, that love control? I, I come from a long line of people who like to have a plan. Um, we like to plan and anticipate what the future holds for us. Well, lucky for us, our actions fit into God's providence. They're a piece of it. But we have to be willing to trust in his plan when it starts to veer from ours. Trusting in God's providence means we have to be willing to embrace uh, when our plans don't fit or fit within God's. We have to trust in his timing. We have to trust in the purpose behind everything that's happening. Trusting in his providence can take a number of different forms. It could look like doing everything we can for that loved one. Setting up those appointments fighting the terminal illness. We advocate. We set up appointments. We see the specialists. And we come up with a treatment plan. All part of God's providence. But part of trusting in it is being okay, accepting, When a miracle happens and they're healed, or they get slowly better, or you lose them. We can trust in God's providence when we allow ourselves to remember who's in control. It can give us perspective as we face the different ups and downs. It helps us rely on him when we can't control our circumstances. Our passage closes in verses 12 and 13 saying this. They went out and preached that people would repent, should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. There's only so many lessons. There's only so many instructions you can give before it's time to just go get some hands-on experience. I, I had the privilege of coaching uh, my, my younger boys' uh, basketball team the last two years. And if there's ever an example of this, it's teaching or coaching youth sports. You try to teach them these skills, and you think they got all these concepts down, but there comes a time where you just got to like throw them out on the court and see what happens. And we have that opportunity every single day to practice the ways that God has equipped us to rely on him. Jesus gave them the opportunity to practice their reliance. They went and they did 
using the instructions Jesus gave them. They were able to practice relying on God as they went and made a difference in the world. God also gives us that opportunity. And we're not meant to sit and wait idly. Part of relying on him is going and doing, getting that practice, whether it's the little things of life or the big things. The practice of relying on God would prove to be vital to the disciples in their ministry, especially after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They would routinely be put in circumstances where they would have to rely on his protection, trust in his protection, his providence, and his provision. And because of that practice in doing so, they thrived. And the world changed. There's no greater evidence than this that we see in Acts chapter 4. As Peter and John, two of the disciples, went before the Sanhedrin. The passage is in Acts 4 verses 1 through 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because, of, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard this message believed, so the number of men believed grew to about 5,000. Now, I love this passage because if you recall the Matthew version of sending the 12, this sounds eerily familiar. This is exactly what Jesus warned them about. This passage is exactly why Jesus prepared them to rely on him. He was, they were going head to head against the Jewish leadership and they had courage and confidence because of that reliance on God. They faced death threats and imprisonment. But, if you go to the end of that passage, there's something special. It says, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men believed grew to about 5,000. The disciples' ability to rely on God through anything they did, led to thousands becoming followers of Jesus. When we leave room in our lives to rely on God and give more, it gives more room for the Holy Spirit to do amazing things within us and through us. I just love the conclusion of, of this story here. Uh, if you go to Acts 4, verses 18 through 20, it says, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in the eyes of God? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Their reliance gave them this confidence to face adversity, to get through it. 
And that's what we can have when we rely on God. A confidence to face whatever lies ahead of us. The disciples' ability to fully rely on God, whatever the circumstance, helped them transform history and transform the lives of millions of believers to come. What if our reliance could lead to just a fraction of that impact? Think of the great things we could do in this world. We have to keep our reliance on God. When Jesus sent out the 12 disciples, he knew that they would need to learn where to put their reliance. The same is true for us. If we're to go out as disciples of Jesus, to go out and fulfill our calling, to do the mission God has sent us to do, we have to rely on someone greater than ourselves. There's only one, there's only one who you can always rely on. We need to trust in his protection. We need to trust in his provision. We need to trust in his providence. And we need to just get practicing. We need to go and do. I want to close with a couple of questions. In what way do you need to be relying more on God? And what's that one thing you can do to refine that reliance? What's that change you can make to start developing a relationship with God where you are fully reliant in Him? Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for always being there for us. God, I just ask and I pray that today and the days to come, we, we come to trust you in your providence, in your protection, in your provision. Lord, help us to fully rely on you in what we do, and help us to not sit on our hands, but let us to be actors of, have us go and do. Let us get practice. And Lord, if there's some of us here who have been struggling with relying on you through whatever it is they're going through, I ask that you help them feel your love and your peace and your grace. We love you, God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. God be with you.